Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me. And she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonish Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. Hello and welcome to our special weekly show with Dublin legend Philly McMahon discussing the big talking points in the championship. I'm Sinead Kassan and we're also joined by the Irish Independence Conor McKeown. Now on this week's episode, did the Cork footballers pick the right fight? the influence of soccer and Gaelic football and why managers on the sidelines should be a thing of the past. Now, the big game in the football championship this weekend is Cork against Kerry at Porky Rin. Philly, were Cork right to refuse to play Kerry at Fitzgerald Stadium? I'm sick of hearing about stadium <laughs> and game changes and I'm just like, is it is that all we have to speak about? Like, you know, can we not speak about something a bit more exciting? But... um. The key thing for here for me is that uh, a manager has a certain timeline, and if that if he's given a, a kind of a I don't know an uncontractable kind of you know you're gonna you're gonna give it your next term is gonna be an extension, well then you can kind of go well, this mightn't matter to us right now. So so if we benefit from it in the next two seasons, let's 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 go for it, you know. But if there's a manager there that's just about to, in this maybe in the middle of his term or coming to the end of his term, you're going to look for every opportunity to to impact the, the game itself. I don't think it'll actually affect Kerry that much, to be honest. Um, if Kerry are going to win or lose the game, it's not because they changed the stadium, right? Um, I think it's if 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 Cork have any chance, uh, it won't be because of the stadium. It'll be because they've contained Kerry to a certain extent in the game put doubt in their mind that you you were complacent when we played just the last time in, in, in the championship and this is what's this is what we're, we're setting out for but we're actually confident going forward and in, in transition and we're going to get our scores when when you when we draw you out um that would be the tactic I'd be going after if it was if it was Cork not well we're going to win because we changed the stadium but okay it might not affect Kerry but I'd be wondering does it affect Cork does it pile the pressure on them well, again, it comes back to as Philly said, the, the, the sort of thing. Like, I wonder if Keith Rickon was there and he was manager and you were looking at a situation where you could say, OK, lads, we're at a bit of a low ebb here. The chances are we're not going to be Kerry in any place. But if we take this one now on the chin, go to Killarney, take what comes of it, and we have them at home for the next two years, there's something you could build on mm-hmm. in, in a long-term sense. Because, like, unfortunately, and this is just the way it is, Cork seasons are always defined by Kerry. Yeah. You know, there was a very brief period then there by around 2010, 2011, where both of those teams were all Ireland contenders. So they kind of, they got stuck into each other in Munster and then they both went their separate ways in the All-Ireland series. But as it is at the moment, and most of the time, Cork season is defined by Kerry. So there you go. If you have them at home two years in a row, you can prepare long term. But I can only assume that they were trying to maybe like replicate 
some sort of atmosphere in the same way as the Newbridge. Like I was at the Newbridge or Nowhere game that year and we had to get into the ground two hours before throw-in. Mm. The place was absolutely busting with energy. And as I have absolutely no doubt that the controversy over it, the fight that Kildare fought, um, the sense of justice that they brought with them to Newbridge that day was part of them beating Mayo that yeah, day. Yeah, but that was their home grounds though, Connor. You know, I mean, Porky King oh, yeah, but versus I, Porky Rin. Yeah, I think, but I think that's maybe the way Cork will, that's the story they're telling themselves at the moment. They're trying to take home advantage of us. But the problem here is, like with the best will in the world, Cork don't have that kind of football support. And I don't think <coughs> Porky Rin is going to be any sort of cauldron at the weekend. And I still think the gap is such between the teams this year in the situation that the two teams are in, the venue is going to make very little difference. And I don't think it was a battle worth fighting. Mm. I mean, surely it's a Cork Kerry game. That's a cause in and of itself, surely, Philly. Yeah, there's Do they energy. have to go creating this? Not really. Like, in, in, I would think if I was, the, let's say, if I was playing there and there's a bit of a, a change, we were kind of educated to not worry about those things. And it was like, that's if we if we have to play in as I always said in a park with two jumpers down. That's what we play in. But for me, if if I'd be more concerned that you're kind of poking the bear a little bit mm-hmm. here as well. Absolutely. You know, although if there's a bit of messing do around a lot for Kerry against Strong last year. Let's say. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tyrone was smart about what what the ways they went, the strategy around it. As Connor's mentioned, the the gap here is a little bit broader. Like you know, so yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. Time will tell, but. My my instinct is I don't think it's going to benefit Cork massively. Yeah, because I think if there is a fair play award, I mean, the GA really should bring that in. I mean, it definitely goes to Kerry. I think they've hit their generosity uh, quota now at this stage, but they really couldn't entertain the notion of it going to possibly a walkover. Now, I don't think it would have gone to that with Cork. They need this game against Cork. They need this challenge. Yeah, I think they do. And they probably get a, like, you know, I th- Killarney is very comfortable for Kerry, that's stating the blindly obvious, but like when they play there, they're almost unbeatable. You know, it's it's very rare. Only Dublin when they're at the peak. Of the okay, Tyrone won there this year, but it was kind of a bit of a smash and grab how it happened. But I think for Jack O'Connor to start the championship, I don't really think they really see Cork as the real viable threat to them this year. So they'll get... You know, like it's good for the Kerry players, I think, to be in a little less comfortable situation. Mm. I was at the Munster final last year and it was an like you were just standing there thinking, what did Peter King get out of that? You know, like, what do we know here? If you dominate possession and you have those Kerry forwards and you give them loads of ball, they're going to score a lot. Like they learn nothing about their capacity to win an All-Ireland that day. So I think the other thing as well is I think Jack O'Connor is quoted in in the papers um, talking about you know, we needed certainty. I think that's probably the key thing for Kerry here, not whether they got a home game or an away game, but just so the players know far enough in advance that they're not being caught by surprise or that there's any, um, like they'll be concentrated on the, you know, the the, the fine detail of producing a performance. Um, and so long as they know where the game is with, you know, 10 days or two weeks or whatever it was to go, I don't think it will make a blind bit of difference. Yeah, I think the bizarre thing as well from last year's game was that David Clifford did not score from play. That's he right. only scored one point from a free, which is absolutely bizarre. There's been a lot of, I suppose, um, they've kind of spoken recently, Philly, about the kind of impact and influence of their soccer days. Um, they both played with Clarny Celtic. They played in the Kennedy Cup. Um, is there a dual use here, do you think, you know, between the soccer and the Gaelic football um, for the two guys? From what I can see from the Cliffords, um, what they're brilliant at and what probably is transferred, I don't know if it's an exact science, but you can see their, their awareness of their their spatial awareness, basically. 
So in soccer, obviously, you have an offside and you're a bit more structured when guy can just run everywhere. Mm. And also then, obviously, we've seen the flick, didn't we, with the goal he scored. So you'll definitely see people that play Gaelic football, you'll definitely see a different skill element to them. Um, but you'll see, I would think, a little bit of more of a spatial awareness uh, game IQ. Like So for me, they're the two, t two things that... Um, I suppose there's a communication piece as well. I'm not sure if I've seen that in them, but for me, when I played when I played soccer, because I was a centre mid and you know I was communicating with three or four people around me, that I brought that into Gaelic football, you know. And as a full back, then I was kind of trying to communicate where I wanted the players, you know, if it was a sweeper coming in or was someone coming in from the blind side. Oh, did you feel they weren't communicating enough when you started? The, in, in, yeah. in Gaelic football yeah, yeah, not necessarily it was just an, an extra trait that I had mm. that I took from organically from soccer like you know um, I don't know forwards do that but I definitely see as I said before Clifford when he moves a certain way when the ball crosses the 45 metre line he moves then or he's looking around to see where he can get a space for the shots off and stuff like that so they're kind of instincts that you get from Gaelic football as well as soccer but mostly in soccer do we overplay these skills sometimes, Connor? Yeah. Yeah. The classic example is every time a, a rugby player from Ireland catches a ball <laughs> and uh, people tell you it's because they played. There we go. Played G and uh, I, like, uh, clearly the, the the rugby players from South Africa, New Zealand and France must be absolutely <laughs> amazed by this unique skill to Irish players. But even the yeah. best uh, Irish player in the air is Andrew Conway. I don't know if he ever played no, any football. It's more Aussie rules. Yeah. <laughs> Someone hits the ball like with the inside of 40 outside foot and they're like, wow, it's yeah. a banana. And you're just like, they do that every day. <laughs> like, what's that about? You but, know? The, but as well as that, we make these points because I think, like even going back to Desi Farrell, I remember when Desi Farrell played for Dublin and people found out that he played hockey. People were like their minds were blown like the mm. idea that you'd play another sport and it wouldn't just be either soccer or GA and we tend to draw, draw these parallels you know Paul Mannion is another guy who was a very good soccer player and obviously you know he's a kind of a striker as a Gaelic footballer but and Bernard Brogan and Rounders actually Rounders yeah, yeah yeah he was talking about it yeah, <laughs> Playing rounders. But, but the other thing is, you just tend to find that people who are good at sport are good at sport because they're athletic and they tend to play a lot of sport. So the whole translation thing, it's not an exact science, but, you know, if you're somebody who played a lot of soccer when at underage and now you play a lot of GAA, that means that by the time you got to play a lot of GAA, you've played a lot of sport. You know, you're developed, you know, you're developed in terms of your coordination, you're developed in terms yeah. of your dexterity, all of those things. So I think playing sport generally, like unless you're playing a sport like, golf or snooker or something that's very precision skilled yeah. um, you know I, I I would imagine that the you know the longer you play those sports and as broad as, as you can stretch your horizons the better you're going to be at every sport when you get older yeah. Yeah, how I, did it help you Philly? well like to, to give a little bit of science behind it is that when you're younger the more you're exposed to motor development the more you and that's rhythm coordination balance speed all that sort of stuff the better you should be in sport so um, and an age uh, profile, physical profile has an impact, age, de developmental age. Um, so if you throw a ball to a three-year-old, they'll find it very hard to, if you throw it over their head to catch the ball. And you could do that a thousand times. They still struggle with that. Like It's just the pattern neurally hasn't been developed. So when I was when I was younger, I started off playing soccer. I was kicking the ball off the flats. We played soccer at the flats and then we started playing Gaelic football, which, which was basically kicking the ball over the flats. <laughs> and then we played Horlam. I played Horlam. I'd done a bit of boxing. Um, so they were kind of the main sports that I was and I played Horland versus Atlanta, which 
I wasn't great at. What didn't you play? <laughs> well, they were the sports that were in my community. Yeah, like, you yeah. know, we, we played a sport that probably wasn't a sport, but it was bareback riding horses. Like, <laughs> but, but that, was, that wasn't a sport that we Tell had. Tell me that, how that helped you with Dublin. <laughs> Balance probably on the horse, but no, the we had no saddles. In, the lads over in Cooler weren't playing that one. No, no, they had saddles. <laughs> they had saddles and helmets on and, and, and horse riding boots, but um, we didn't have a value one. So yeah, look, um, being exposed to all of those... Um, it's, I would call it guided discovery that the, the human body is basically at a, at a young age is developing to make mistakes and it, it, the easiest way of saying it is a kid comes in and bangs, bangs his head um, if he's born earlier in the year and there's another kid that comes in that's born later in the year that kid hasn't banged his head as much so they haven't learned as much so age there's a big thing around age profile around you know young kids being I suppose getting all the getting the, the best training and trials because they're physically developed. But that doesn't doesn't transition massively when it when it comes to adulthood because the physical attributes uh, space is gained and the separation is a lot less. So, so New Zealand do a different system with underage rugby players where they categorise them by weight as opposed to age. Right. So it, it means that you don't have that situation like we all had. You know, I remember a couple of guys who we were would have been sure would play for would have played for Dublin yeah. at our age group playing football and hurling, and it was only because they were bigger and stronger and quicker than everyone else. And when they got to senior, they weren't anymore. But I think in New Zealand, when it comes to underage rugby players, they're not categorised by age; they're categorised by weight and size. So it means that you know your advantage over the other players. You're going to have to develop your skills. You're going to have to show you know improvement in your skills if you're to prosper because you can't get away with that forever. Mm. It's a brilliant book called Outliers, and it kind of goes yeah. through all that and talk about the Canadian hockey team. They look for younger. So if I was born in 1987, they would look for young kids that were born earlier in the year in 1987 because they'd be much more physically developed than another international team that had a mix of those. But the other side of it is, so there's the, the, the smaller physical developed kid will, will, will have so much more adversity based off coming up against bigger, bigger physical profiled mm -hmm. kids that there's huge amount of growth and lessons in that. They, they could be the players like the, the Colin Coopers mm -hmm. who weren't physically developed, the Messies, but have learned this threshold of I've fought against this all, all my career. This is something that I'm actually going to bring into my game. So there's benefits to not being big as well. There's there's certain, character building as well in many exactly, ways, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I would say like my teammate, Davey Warren, was always small, always angry and small. <laughs> Never shy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a prime example and he probably played a year older we had because there was no his age group there was no team and you know you wouldn't be able to look at him in, in, in terms of watching the Ballymun kick of a senior team here and go do you know when he was younger he he actually didn't really get much game time because he was too small but his fight throughout them years you'll see that on, on the pitch when he plays senior football I remember talking to somebody who was involved in the Dublin 21s the last year they won it when Desi was manager and they were talking about Owen Merchant and Owen Merchant mm -hmm. in the All-Ireland final that year Desi actually put him at centre back on Michael Daly Val Daly's young lad Michael Daly's a huge man and that Galway team had beaten the Kerry team in the All-Ireland semi-final that Jack O'Connor was managed and the Kerry team had about three All-Ireland minor teams mm -hmm. worth of enough. but anyway Merchant just put him on the back foot for the whole game you know, and you'd have this idea of Merchant because he's small that he should yeah. be a cornerback but actually mm. that's the last place you want him yeah. I remember talking to somebody in the under 21 management team and said look that guy if he doesn't make it for Dublin I'm walking away from coaching Gaelic football because if it just becomes about size and physicality well it's an awful shame that he'll never play senior and obviously mm. he did go on to play senior but like like Merchant if you stand beside him 
you know, and compare them to Michael Murphy or something like that. They shouldn't really be on the same pitch. But there's a classic example of somebody who had no problem putting the size behind it. Yeah. Square pegs around holes, yeah. isn't it? Like yeah. instead of looking at a player and saying he will fit based off the last player I had or based off the system we have, it's like oh, Morgan, what has he got? Mm. He's got speed. Well, you need to be running that way, you know. So that that I think comes down to having the right management and. and basically looking at the strengths of an individual instead of the weaknesses based off your blind spots from what you have created as a coach. So how would you, you know, those all those different sports, how do they help you then when you came into Gaelic football? How were you able to we look at things boxing differently? Helped, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, I mean, even in later years when, when I wasn't a kid, when I, when I took up MMA, you know, being able to take a smack and kind of laugh at it and move on or whatever it is, but th- that discipline was huge for me. Um, I suppose like, you can't really measure the, the skills of maybe holding a smaller ball in terms of a slitter, how that benefits your handling. Um, I suppose soccer, as I said to you, it's kind of the, the, the couple of things of being having the communication skill that is probably different to to, this, to Gaelic football um, and have that spatial awareness that I had was, was much. So I'm, when I'm looking for a pass, I've habitually just have a, I just look over my shoulder a little bit mm. because of a centre midfielder. So, I'm looking at the next step, so I'm getting a pass. But I'm all before I get that pass of like, right, okay, what space do I have to get a shot off or a pass off? Um, and I like passing the ball and so in being a centre mid, I like yeah. playing the ball and passing the ball. And and, and obviously, then my game in, in Gaelic football is all about kicking. I don't really carry the ball that much, so they're the kind of traits that I brought through. Were you smaller or bigger than the guys you would have played I was with? Average, like. Right. But when I was playing with the Dublin development squads, I was never there's that fella that's gonna be playing for. Dublin senior team in years to come, you know. Right, okay. Players with much bigger profiles. Like Paddy Andrews was probably the star at my age, like, you know, and there was a couple of others, but I, I wasn't big. So, like, you would have had, like, a massive backroom staff with Dublin, like, was it 100, 120 in there or something like that? Yeah. But, like, yeah. uh, so Mark Ingle, uh, you know, obviously Jason yeah. Sherlock, and Jim Gavin was speaking to the American football then as well. Like, what would have been the wackiest idea or kind of the best idea that would come from another sport for Jeez, uh, I have to think about it. That's a good question. Um, we were bri- oh, I'll give you a good one. It was actually before, Jim. It was with Pat Gilroy. Um, the year we went over to F1 McLaren. We went over on a trip to, to London and uh, we visited. Uh, so we were like, we're going to F1 McLaren to garage. We walked in. It was like, it's going to be oil everywhere. It was spotless, <laughs> like a hotel. We were walking around and we were looking at the gym and the, some of the machines that Lewis Hamilton at the time was racing for them. Like some of the machines, the the weight kind of uh, strength machines they had were incredible. And I was like, I was fascinated. But we were, uh, what popped up actually was the, we looked at the helmet and there was a straw in the helmet that dripped into the racer's mouth to hydrate, keep them hydrated for cognitive right. um, performance. So we were like, geez, that's, that's very interesting. Don't tell me you're, you're thinking of bringing that in. I didn't wear helmets, <laughs> no. But we, we, we looked at, we had got beaten by Cork the year before in 2010 in the Ireland semi-final. And we went back and looked at the video footage. And in them, those last five minutes, Cork were getting water lashed into them. And we were looking kind of uh, at the video footage and we hadn't in that five minutes when we needed to be focused and cognitively the concentration endurance needed to be at the money like we didn't get any water into us and you would have seen then years after that water was thrown in every second like you know and you know the aura lights and everything mm. else um, so a little thing like a, a straw and a helmet in yeah. a different sport like F1 and who spotted that? it was somebody in the back room Tim I think yeah yeah, 
but it was fascinating because even if it did help you physically, it definitely helped you uh, in terms of your 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 placebo effect or psychologically. You were like, there's a focus. Like even if I just got the water bottle, there's a focus to stay concentrated on the process yeah. to get over the line, so we don't don't let happen what happened in 2010. Like you know, so. There was a whole piece around that I, th I found fascinating. There was a couple of rumours a, a few years ago that there were goalkeepers wearing earpieces in, in, in Hurland. Mm. You couldn't see them inside their helmets and that they were having calls put to them. But I know for a fact, and I won't say the team because, but I was at a match one time where the manager happened to be sitting in the stand not very far away from where I was. And he had an earpiece in and he was calling puck outs from the stand, but he wasn't actually calling it to the keeper. They had a, a Moirishka standing behind the goal. So he was calling long 12 or whatever the code word was. And that was going and he could see because every time he said the thing, the puck out was going straight down on top of them. So that's almost like the quarterback mm. thing, come, like the, yeah. the, the coach coming why, in from Why the wouldn't side. they let that? Like, why wouldn't they let it's the just, sport yeah. be, be innovative Would like, you like that? that to, yeah. In Horland, why not? Like, Yeah, like I don't think there's any, like, I'm, not, I'm not sure that you're, you'd be allowed wearing an earpiece, but yeah. what they were doing, like and again, this is just like it's just borrowing a, a, a tactic from another sport. Mm. He was literally calling it down to the to the Marishka who's behind the goals, and so within within a second, the goalkeeper was getting the right message. Look, look at all the rules we've changed from other sports. Mm. So we've brought in the mark, right? We've penos now. They're all from different sports. Right. So why can't we bring technology into it? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So unless it's to some sort of dangerous element to it. I'm sure if they looked at NFL, they'd be able to uh, American football, they'd be able to say, "Look, this is this is how you do it." Which like, manager would you at least like to have in your earpiece for seventy minutes? Which manager? <laughs> I've listened to Paulie Joyce on the sideline a little bit, but I think he's more camera this year. But uh, uh, Rory Gallagher is Rory a bit Gallagher, vocal yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, I'd say, if, if, say if Rory could have two earpieces, I've a good story about Rory, but I'll tell you in another time. <laughs> but just actually on Rory, you know, I mean, he was pretty animated to say it uh, likely last Sunday. Would you like that? Would you like looking over and seeing a manager animated? Because no, we know, no, the yeah. science has proven that. Like if like if you are trying to coach the day of a game you didn't coach enough the week of the game. And you'll hear Jim Gavin talk about that a lot. Like, But there's even, there's a really good video on social media. You'll see it's from, it's in the NBA. And a, there's an interview of a player after the, the game. And he's basically saying, when I looked over, I took a shot. When I looked over to to, to see the bench and, and my manager was kind of hands on head, I lost confidence in that. And his manager then yeah. is speaking after saying, I didn't realise that. Yeah. You know, and then there's another thing around the All Blacks. I don't know which manager it was. They were chatting about how long should you speak in the change room or who's the speech in the change room for. And I think the, there was a conversation. They were like, he's like, do you just get out now of me saying this? And they were like, no, right. don't really need to hear yeah. all that. We've been, we've got our, what we want, need to do from the training we've done and the exposure you've given us the week before the game. Like, I have to say, I'm surprised. Like, I thought Jim Gavin was going to be more of a game changer for inter-county managers because, like, we were all fascinated at the start. Jim sitting there and there's anarchy breaking out in the biggest match of the year and he's, like, sipping his water bottle. Yeah. And, or, like, the time down in, in Tralee, actually. Ah, that's amazing. That was incredible. <laughs> but, but, what, what, but what's amazing is that, what's amazing for me is that Jim has now articulated and told everyone why he did that. Mm. And the reason he did that was because he was not adding to the situation by getting emotional or reacting in certain situations. And that to me makes perfect sense, even if it seemed like extraterrestrial at the time when he was doing it. I'm just surprised that more managers haven't actually twigged that and said, well, 
Like, what's the point of me roaring and shouting or screaming at a referee or throwing my thing down and all that sort it's, of stuff? It's, a, it's an education thing. It's, a, it's something you've learned from yeah. your previous managers and, and then you're trying to be the expert and you're trying to demand respect. Mm. Whereas you'll get a lot more respect out of realising that as a manager, I'm only here to facilitate you as getting mm. better. So you tell me what way you want me to communicate and what way you think is the best way of processing information. Yeah. So that's key. And in this day and age, players... Um, will res- will will kind of respond to peer to peer information rather than peer to coach. I <laughs> talk about messages. I heard a story and the, the person who was involved verified it. But now this is back in the nineties, and this guy was sitting on the bench for uh, a big hurling county during the championship, and he was a cornerback. And one of the cornerbacks was getting roasted earlier on, and the manager turned around to the selector. He says, um, "We need to make a change here." you know sorted out get somebody ready so we said to this fella so he said he warmed up and in the meantime your man had conceded another point so he knew he was going on so he got yeah. there and, and the manager was so focused on the game he hadn't looked back and then when he turned around and he saw your man he goes come on let's make the change and he turned around and he saw who it was and he looked at him and then he looked at the selector and he goes ah, is that all we've got <laughs> oh Jesus so imagine that going into your head as you're running it out the pitch completely trust so do you think like, like that, yeah. football should mo- go more toward like um, rugby, rugby. And be more micromanaged that way. There's no education processing in Gaelic football, like as as there would be maybe in rugby and, and in, in particular soccer, where you have to go and get your coaching badges and stuff like that, and you spend a lot of time and money on that, and that's why you overcoach in soccer because um, you spend so much time. You want to be the expert, you know. You've got so much experience in that. Uh, I do think it's going to go that route like I do think you don't need to be down there on the sideline unless you feel like like you see the game better up on the sta- in yeah. the stands mm-hmm. so you're there to observe and give live information to somebody that's down there to help change the game or the momentum in Connor the game Connor used to do it for the first half Indeed, he was yeah, court yeah, manager yeah, yeah. Yeah. spend the first half up there Davy Fitz yeah. did it for a while as well sometimes he was compelled to be there by the rules and sometimes he wasn't yeah. but, but like it is that is a growing trend particularly watching the first half yeah. from from because you know from being in the press box in Crow Park because uh, like I've, I've spoken to players and people where the press box is in Crow Park, the view that you get in the game is exceptional. Like yeah. I can't, mm. it, there was a few years ago, I wasn't working and Dublin were playing Mayo in a league game and a few friends of mine were going along that a ticket and I ha- I actually hadn't sat in a normal seat in Crow Park in years and we were in the lower Cusick and I remember looking at the game thinking, this is rubbish. Terrible view. <laughs> because yeah. like if you want to actually yeah. have a look at what's going on, how teams are setting up the shapes they're trying to hold and where the runs are coming from, like yeah. being on the sideline, you cannot get any grasp whatsoever for what's going on. No. It was the same, we were in, with balls, we were in Pauk last year in, in, in Greece and like the stadium, I think they call it a, it's the devil's ball oh, yeah, or the yeah, black yeah, yeah, devil yeah. or black something. And anyway, we were, we were right up at the top tier to the right of us was all the, the fans that, that were singing like, and you know when you go to a, a soccer game here in Ireland you have a mix of men women children singing Yeah. see there it's like all middle aged men singing so the noise is just like it's deafening like you know so we were looking we were up in the stands because um, we couldn't get anywhere else we couldn't sit anywhere else like and the, the benches it was one of those kind of setups where the bench if you sat where the seats were given you wouldn't be able to see the game so we were on the top tier and if the players could see what we see in the top mm-hmm. two, yeah, they would have yeah, yeah. would have won that game because we could see where the, yeah. the the gaps were and everything else. But same with the Aviva when when we played Europe in the Aviva, it was brilliant to be on them top tiers. Yeah. Um, I don't know why managers would would be on the level mm-hmm. of the players because it's mad. Like when you play and you're at the same level and you like 
you, you don't see a pass or you, you you know there's a man in the way at the level you're at but when you're watching from a higher tier you're kind of looking down going why did he not pass that but when you're on the lower you're on that same level you're looking at it and going well i'm not seeing what they're seeing so a manager will be seeing what a player is seeing whereas a manager should be in my eyes should be at a, a level where they're not seeing what the player is seeing mm-hmm. So that they can give information to help that live engagement. The flip, the flip side of that, and this is just maybe this is the unique example, or maybe it's the exception that proves the rule. But Brian Cody, when he is on the sideline, and you're in Nolan Park or you're in Tordos when they're playing, it's hard not to look at him because mm. he is nearly dictating the tempo for his team. Now hurling has changed in the last few years, and it'll continue to change into a much more controlled game. But for the best part of 20 years, when it was all about intensity and fury and yeah. winning your battle and winning the collisions and going the extra yard, I have no doubt that Kilkenny players, they got energy from yeah. Cody on the sideline. because what he. Did you, what did you think of the handshake? Frosty. That yeah. was proper frosty. Absolutely. I, wa- head, I wasn't expecting it to be as yeah. frosty as that. I'm looking at that and I'm, and I'm thinking, he's saying, you're coming from me, like, yeah. you know. And I'm, I have my eye on you a little As bit. I saw someone That's what say, I felt. you know, Cody lost the fight, he wasn't going to lose the handshake. Yeah. Well, I think like the, the pullback the, was the, a bit. Yeah. The <laughs> thing wow. about Cody is the way he would see that, I think, and I'm not an expert on the inner workings of Brian Cody's mind, <laughs> but I think the way he thinks is it's hard enough to, with everybody in Kilkenny to beat everybody else. But when your best, your number one fella, goes and manages yeah. the county and Cody has had of all the counties Galway have come out of the woodwork to beat Kilkenny in, 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 in mad occasions yeah. for him to be going there because like I've seen it reported and the people who have reported it and said it I would trust their information but Cody was looking for Shefflin to come in to his backroom team before mm-hmm. the beginning of this year um, and obviously that's not something that Shefflin wanted to do and he wanted to go and take a job somewhere else so I don't know would he have seen it as sort of a betrayal but certainly you know he'd be thinking to himself well it's hard enough going winning all Ireland's with everybody in Kilkenny on your side but when one of your best fellas goes to one Absolutely. of the rivals yeah. I, that's yeah. that's kind I do, I, because there was a bit of surprise in, in Shefflin's reaction to it you know, yeah. you can yeah. see yeah. he yeah. looked back as yeah. go. so but it wasn't if well, he couldn't let successor. him go like he had him you know <laughs> Yeah, but like I mean, like if you are like there for the right reasons and you're there for Kilkenny mm. and not your own, you'd be saying you're my next successor. Yeah. Best luck with everything. Learn your trade, go off and do, and then come back and you know come under me for a year and I'll step aside. Like, uh, yeah, I just think there was a there's a bit of an ego thing there with both. Well, maybe more so with Cody than. Yeah. than I've often wondered though about people managing against their own counties like there was Eamon Craig and he was heartbroken I after managing off I <laughs> never do it yeah. I'm going on I'm saying <laughs> it here I would never if I ever get into management I'd never manage another team outside of Dublin Okay lads well look thanks for that you can read more from Philly in his column on Saturday's Irish Independent Monday's Throw-In with Will and Michael were reviewed this weekend's championship you can rate, listen and follow on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. we'll be back next week